before we get into the lesson. Uh, today's a big day in that we are resuming our Sunday morning Bible classes. I'm glad that you're here and will be a part of that. We're going to share uh, some important details at the end, so you'll kind of know how we're, we're doing that. And so um, hang on for that. Um, I do also want to just share, remind you, next week is going to be extra special also in that we have a guest speaker. Uh, Demetrius Nelson is going to be here. He's the minister at the Carmack Boulevard Church. Um, a couple of us went and met with a couple of them and said, what can we do? How can we connect? And first step was we did a project together. You might remember with a, uh, back to school backpacks and uh, we've invited him to come and speak and we're working on another uh, project that we can do together. So uh, next Sunday will be great. Uh, I want you to be here. Uh, also let you know, Alex uh, Quintero was talking with our Spanish speaking members about this and they wanna be here as well. So um, our, it, it'll be one language, all in English, but they wanna be in here and just make the most of it. Uh, so you're going to see some of them. Uh, Demetrius said there may be a few of his folks coming our way, so we may have several guests or folks who are not normally part of our worship. Uh, what, that also means it might bump you out of your seat. Uh, so just when you've gotten to a routine, uh, get ready. Uh, and Alex told them, you got to get here at 8.15 you want a good spot. Uh, so he's kind of warning them on, on that one. Uh, but isn't that great? And isn't it great that we've got a, a room next door for some extra room? Uh, but be, be praying for that. We hope that is a blessing for all of us. Um, we're in a study of God's names. Uh, if you were not with us last week, uh, I don't want to say you missed a great lesson, but I will say you really need to study the name of Yahweh, Jehovah. Uh, do it on your own if you need to, or go back and, and listen to that lesson, because that was when God gave to Moses his name. And even more so, he described himself. And that passage from Exodus chapter 34 is the verse, the passage in the Bible that is quoted by the Bible more than any other. Some call that the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. If you don't know what that's about, again, you need to know how God describes himself, what he means about his name. So I want to encourage you to go back and uh, uh, catch up on that lesson. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about his next name uh, in our study, El Elyon. You know, people can put you in your place even when they don't necessarily mean to. Kids are great at that. Sometimes adults will do that for you. I came across a couple of quotes I'll share with you. Filmmaker Billy Wilder was listening to an actor sing and said this, he has Van Gogh's ear for music. Abraham Lincoln said this about his opponent, he can compress the most words into the smallest idea of any man I've ever met. <laughs> Beethoven said to another composer, I like your opera. I think I will set it to music. <laughs> Mark Twain was never one to be delicate with words. I might get in trouble for this. But he said, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. It's important to know your proper place. And really, the only way to know your proper place is to put God in his proper place. And his proper place is the highest place. And that's what this name means. It means God most high. 
And that's what I want us to study for the next couple of moments. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. This morning, we're going to look at this name, El Elyon, God Most High. Really what it means is the ultimate God. And this was a big deal for God to be described this way. And it's good for us to kind of know a little bit of the culture, the background, the the history of the name. Because these ancient Hebrews, when they heard this description of name as God Most High, the reason that mattered was in their culture at the time, no matter who your God was, you would brag that your God was best, that your God was bigger, that your God was more powerful. Do you remember when you were a child and you would brag to your neighbor, my daddy can beat up your daddy? Well, it's not that different. And if you recall, just what you know, the Old Testament, when the children of Israel would be at odds with other countries, you know, the shame of losing is that it would bring shame on your God, like your God didn't protect you, like your God wasn't strong enough. And so to be victorious meant that your God was bigger, that your God was stronger, your God was better. El Elyon designates that God, Yahweh, is bigger. Or really, in better terms, we'd say sovereign over all the universe. That's what the name means. I think it's interesting to note, and I got this by way of introduction, of all the names, Satan and his angels, this one is used more than any others. El Elyon. Why? Why would Satan call God, identify him, as El Elyon. Well, there's an example in Isaiah chapter 14. The prophet is rebuking the king of Babylon, but from what is said, Jewish scholars believe this is addressing Satan himself, his fall. Look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You who said in your heart, and look at these words, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, El Elyon. Why does he do that? Why does he introduce himself or or talk about God as, as the God most high? Well, think about it. That's what he lusts after. Satan doesn't want to be the God who's the good shepherd or the God who's the the provider or the God who cares for you or the God who provides for you. He wants to be the God most high. That's what comes with the name. Do you remember when Jesus was confronted by the demon, actually it was several, called Legion? And do you remember how Legion identified God in addressing Jesus? Mark 5, verse 7, crying aloud with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. See, the forces of darkness acknowledge God as God Most High. So the question is, do we? Do we even give him that? Well, I want to see in our lesson today two people and learn from their experience, two people who recognize God as God most high. The first is Abraham. This is in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham was new to the land of Canaan. 
And so he's just kind of making his way there. There's a war in the valley. Five Canaanite kings go to war against four Canaanite kings. First war we have recorded in the Bible. They took away all the treasure of Sodom and all the people. The four kings defeated the five kings. Not a lot of details there. And Abraham really, actually is Abram at this point, but had no concern about these kings. He had no concern about the army. We'd say he didn't have a dog in that fight. But what mattered, though, he cared about his family. And so when they took Sodom and all the people and all the possessions of Sodom, that included his nephew Lot. So Abraham wasted no time forming his own little family militia, 318 trained men, 318 traveled hundreds of miles and took over these four kings and their armies. With God's help, ambushed them at night, got not only his nephew, but all the loot as well, and was making their way back. I want to pick up the story. Look in Genesis 14, verse 17. After his return from the, from the defeat of Kedorlaomer, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, or El Elyon. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tent of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I want you to notice in this story that Abraham refuses to form an alliance with this evil king. Well, for one, he had been defeated. I mean, he's the one that got trapped in the tar pits. You can go and read that detail. So really, the king had no bargaining to begin with. I mean, Abraham had saved his neck and saved his people. But still, even so, Abraham owed him nothing and refused to form an alliance with him. In fact, he says he serves the creator who's stronger, more powerful, above all these kings. Now think about that for a moment. If you recognize the God most high, you don't have to form an alliance with anyone, especially an evil king, when God most high owns it all anyway. Tony Evans has a book. I'm using several to help me in this study. He's, it's called The Power of God's Names. But here's a line in this book that I, I underlined, and I encourage you to think about this. God is your source. Everything else is your resource. God is your source. Everything else is your resource. The priest Melchizedek pointed this out saying it is God most high who blessed Abram in all of this. It was God most high who gave him victories. God most high who did all of this. And this Melchizedek here, look what's happening here. Moses, I mean, uh, Abraham gives him a tenth of everything. Yes, there was tithing before the law of Moses. It wasn't like he was commanded to. Abraham just did this. And he gives it to Melchizedek. We've heard the name, and it's kind of a mysterious name. And even here in Genesis, when we first read about it, he kind of appears out of nowhere. We don't really know a lot about Melchizedek. 
it mentions that he's another Canaanite king, but he wasn't a part of this war because those are listed earlier in the chapter. But here he's called the priest of the God Most High. Abram understands that this one who Melchizedek calls God Most High is the same one that Abraham knows as Yahweh. Same one. And by tithing to the priest, he's acknowledging El Elyon's right to own everything. God Most High owns heaven and earth. He's made it all. Everything that I have is his. I don't want to have anybody to have the wrong impression. I'm not going to form an alliance with the evil king. I'm not going to take all this loot. It's not mine. I don't need that. God is the one giving him everything. So be sure you learn this lesson from Abraham's example. If God is truly most high, everything belongs to him. If God is most high, everything belongs to him. The Bible says this over and over again. And I wonder if that's because... We have a hard time accepting this or continuing to believe this. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Have you ever wondered why, as a part of our worship to God, he wants us to give back to him? I mean, the God who owns it all, he doesn't need anything doesn't need anything from us. But why does he want us to give? See, some people think of tithing, as they study it in their Bible, as about giving one-tenth of your stuff to God. I say, that's wrong. Because really, it's giving one-tenth of everything God has given us back to God. Big difference there. And I wonder if you've ever known El Elyon in this way. Everything you have, every dollar in your paycheck, every dollar in your bank, every item in your house, everything you drive, all the clothes you wear, all the people in your life, everything that's created, everything belongs to God. It's all His. If He is God Most High, then you acknowledge He owns everything. Well, here's someone else to consider, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Put that on the screen so you can spell it right, right? It's one of those names we say a lot, but it's not an easy one to spell. But I want you to see how he recognized God most high because he kind of did it in two steps. Sometimes we can do the same thing. We can be just like him, and that's not always good. But read about him in the book of Daniel. It's a very dark time in the history of God's people. The Jews had refused to listen to the prophets and return to God, so God allows them to be taken into captivity. The big, huge, mighty Babylon had taken the Jews a thousand miles away from home. And here's something to think about that. Again, back to what I said earlier, warfare in those days was similar to wars today. It's about politics. It's about control. Uh, sometimes it's about uh, an egomaniac just trying to take over. But in their day, there was also a spiritual component. Because whoever won the war, it meant their God was bigger. Their God was better. Their God was supreme. So they were, in some ways, whatever they were fighting, there was also a spiritual component to the war. They wanted their God to win. They wanted their God to be best. So here in this book, the powerful nation of Babylon taking the Jews into captivity... And I want you to see what's happening here. The king 
of Babylon, even though he's king of this most powerful nation, even he is not calling the shots. He cannot even have someone's life taken unless God Most High allows it. Do you remember this story? He built the 90-foot statue and made the decree that when, whenever they sounded the horn, that everyone must bow down and worship it. Do you remember that part of the story? And there were three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that said, nope, not going to do it. They remained committed to the one true God. So when the horns blew, they didn't bow down. Word got back. Nebuchadnezzar heard about that. Well, his response revealed just how pompous he was about all this. He says, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And here, listen to this line. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's pretty bold, isn't it? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So the horns blew. They didn't bow. They got arrested. His spite was so great. You remember this part of the story? That he had the, the flames, the, the furnace, uh, increase seven times. So much so that the mighty men who were commissioned to throw them into the fire, their lives were taken. They died. And what we remember about that story, look at Daniel 3, verse 25. This is the king's response. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. There's the name. Come out and come here. Imagine what a powerful story for the Hebrews. For this kind of story to, to, to go throughout the whole people. Of this is how their God delivered them. The mighty king of Babylon. Door stopped. Even he can't even make this happen. El Elyon got in the way here. And that day, even Nebuchadnezzar, even Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the God most high. But he didn't worship him. He acknowledged who he was. But he didn't worship him. There's a big difference. See, the point of this lesson is not to convince you that God is most high. I think most of us believe it. Maybe all of us believe that. The challenge is for you and me to live that way every day. Nebuchadnezzar said it, but he did not live it. Keep reading in the book. The very next chapter, he has a dream. Nobody can interpret the dream, so they call Daniel to interpret the dream. It's not a good dream. And Daniel was kind of reluctant to share that. You might remember what that dream was about. It wasn't good at all. In that, it was really a, a moment of, uh, of putting him, this evil king, in his place. I mean, struck like an animal, lose his mind, be out in the fields for seven years. Daniel told him the dream. But the king wasn't into listening to Jews. Sometimes we can be like that, too. Look at Daniel 4, verse 28. See what happened next. All this time, at this, all this time came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, listen to this, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as the royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Can you get more full of yourself? 
Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among the men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God most high right to rule everything. What a powerful story. So if he's God most high, not only does he own everything, we learn that from Abraham in his story, but here we learn that he rules over everything. The only reason Nebuchadnezzar was in power to begin with is because God allowed it. God was using Nebuchadnezzar even to work through his own people. Scripture points out from beginning to end, and folks, we need to think about this in our own country, in our own time of what's happening. From beginning to end, God is sovereign over the world. He's greater than any nation, any president, any king. It's God that rules the nations. He brings one up, takes one down. We see this over and over in scripture. Look at Deuteronomy 32 verse 8. This is the song of Moses just before he left his people. When the Most High, Elion, gave their nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. This is God who rules the earth. Napoleon was once asked if God was on the side of France. If God was on the side of France, he replied rather cynically, God is on the side with the biggest artillery. But that was before Waterloo. And when Napoleon was banished to St. Helena, it is said that he repeated these words, Man proposes, but God disposes. God Most High will not share his glory with anyone. The Bible tells us that. And in an instance, he can humble anyone who does not believe he is Most High. I know you agree with what the Bible says, but let's continue thinking about some other observations about this God Most High. Two more. If God is Most High... We must understand that God reigns over my enemies. God reigns over my enemies. Psalm 83, verse 17. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. That prayer is interesting. He is saying, God... Show them who's boss. It's you. Show them who's boss. You ever prayed that way? I think sometimes we need to be reminded from time to time that God is sovereign. And he has the right to use even your enemies 
to bring about his purpose. Again, the Bible is full of that. Sometimes he answers a prayer in a way that we might not expect. Sometimes he works in our lives in ways that we do not wish, we do not want. I don't think Joseph prayed to go to prison. But we remember that story and how God worked in his enemies to save Joseph's family. I don't think it was Paul who wanted to end up in prison, but it was in prison where he converted a whole family and planted a church. In working even through our enemies, God can fulfill his purpose. But it takes spiritual eyes to see that. Putting God in his place and realize he is over everything, even our enemies. God remains higher. Look at Psalm 91, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, I know the cynic in all of us, we read this and we think, well, that sounds nice. But I can tell you about some times where my enemies have hurt me and I was not protected. One commentary shared this. We think more like Americans, Westerners, than Jews, those who live in the East. We Americans say, why is evil in my life allowed? Where's God? But the Jews would think, why has God kept so much evil that I deserve from happening to me? There is a spiritual war going on. And that means if God Most High did not protect you, you would be tempted beyond you're able to bear. I think it's only when we stand before him and when sometimes we talk about just drawing the curtain of eternity back and we can look at our lives that we will be stunned at how God sent his angels to protect us. We will be amazed to look back and see there was a spiritual hedge around us where God was working through us his purpose, and he was guiding us and protecting us. Again, when you read the Bible, you see that over and over and over again. Because God's purposes are greater than our enemies. He will use every circumstance to help fulfill his purpose in us. And there's not an enemy or a power that can separate you from the love of God. Well, here's the last point. If God is God most high... God reigns over my circumstances. Kind of related, but it's a different point. God reigns over my circumstances. And this is where, for some of us, the rubber meets the road. And it really becomes a matter of faith. What do I believe? Do I believe God is most high? See, it's one thing to say that he rules the universe. But it's another to freely admit He is ruling over my daily circumstances. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 38. It's probably not one that you've put to memory. I doubt it's one that you've got stuck on a mirror. It's a challenging verse, but we need to know what it says. is, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? The children of Israel did not believe in fate. They did not believe in good luck or bad luck or karma. Even as God's people today, those words 
that come into our minds, and we use those terms. But not so originally with the people of God. They did not think that way. They believed nothing happened apart from God's knowledge and his permission or design. Now, that doesn't mean God always brings the trial, but it means he reigns over the trial. He is supreme. He is God most high. How else can he command us to give thanks in all circumstances if he's not God most high? Years ago, when men were working with the famous artist Michelangelo in St. Peter's Cathedral, they couldn't see what he saw. And so they were just workers, and they were critical of the artist among themselves, and even to him. Listen to what he said. The great artist responded, Even if I were able to make my ideas and plans clear to you, which I am not, and I'm not obligated to do so, I must ask that you do your best to help me, and when the work is complete, the conception will be better understood. And history proved them right. When it was finished, then they saw the beautiful design. And think of the parallel there. Even if God explained everything that he's doing, everything that he's doing in the world, I don't think our feeble human minds would be able to fully comprehend together it all. God is saying, I am most high. I'm over your circumstances. Trust me. When the work is done, when the work is done, you're going to be able to look back and see the finished product, what I was doing. Look at Psalm 57, verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in you. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. See, if you've never had difficulties, if you've never had troubles, it may be difficult for you to truly know God as most high. Because most of us, it's in those times of trouble when we are flat on our back that we can really look up and acknowledge how high God is. It may only be when we have to go through those difficulties and hardships and our enemies getting ahead that you're able to see and experience that God is over everything, even my circumstances. So the next time you're hurting, the next time when you're overwhelmed, maybe we should be like the psalmist and cry out to God who fulfills his purpose in us. When Jean Ormandy and the Philadelphia Philharmonic was traveling to China, the Chinese orchestra was um, playing Beethoven's Fifth to welcome them. And I say playing, they weren't really doing a good job of it. And everybody knew it. So the Chinese conductor passed the baton to Ormandy. And as soon as he started conducting the Chinese orchestra, the transformation was immediate. And the music was as beautiful as it was written and intended. And I wonder if that's not how we are with God. He's with us all the time. He is with us all the time. He will never leave us. But sometimes it's only when we see God working in somebody else's life that our eyes are open and we can see that. Sometimes in our own, we're blind to that. And we can't see it because of our own pain, maybe our our lack of faith. But we can see God working in someone else. 
So I want to close with this simple question. Have you given God the most high place in your life? I'll give you a couple of hints to help answer that. Number one, examine your giving. Examine your giving. Can you really call him God most high when you act as if it is all yours? Number two, examine your worries. If your life is eat it with anxiety, focusing on your circumstances, your enemies, your health, your challenges, just like people who don't believe, do you really believe God is most high? And number three, you examine your worship. If God is really most high, then you're going to spend time acknowledging him in his rightful place above everything. I read about a young man who wanted to climb a certain peak in the Alps. It's very dangerous. Couldn't do it alone. In fact, it was required. You had to have professional help. So he hired two trained guides to take him up this certain peak. And they were able to slowly make their way up. And the guides knew what a joy it was when you get to the top and just take that breathtaking moment. And so the guides allowed him to go up first. But when he went up to the very top, he stood up and not anticipating the huge force of the wind that almost knocked him off his feet. And the guide stood up with him and pulled him back down to the ground for safety and said, on your knees, on your knees is the only place to be up here. And think of the parallel there. Once you put God in the highest place, you will just by reflex know it is not to be like King Nebuchadnezzar strutting around, look at what I've done, how hard I've worked. It's all mine. You'll be on your knees. One last blank on your outline. You will not really know your place until you put God in the right place. You will not really know your place until you put God in the right place. And the Bible says from beginning to end, God is God most high. Our invitation song is to encourage you just to maybe have a moment of spiritual calibration of you just acknowledging what Charlie led us in some wonderful songs that spoke just to that. God, you are most high. You are over everything. Open my eyes to see that, to acknowledge that in my blessings and in my pain, in my struggles and in my challenges. Or this morning, if you're ready to have your sins washed away in baptism, you believe that Jesus is the son of the God most high who came to die for you. We want to help you with that as well. Why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.